What happens when you look at creativity through the lens of therapy and vice versa? You have creativity in an ever-changing world with Dr. Judy Bloom and Richard Skipper. In every episode, they come together with amazing artists who prove that with just a little ingenuity, we are all creative beings and that the gifts lie within despite the challenges of the outside world. And now, here are Dr. Judy Bloom and Richard Skipper. Happy Thursday, stranger. <laughs> Hi, Richard. How are you? It seems like it's been forever. It's been a month since you and I last saw each other. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're here today, and then we're going to be separated again for three months. Oh, uh. <laughs> well, there's a good reason. There's a good reason, okay. Uh, I'm going to be traveling um, and over mostly Northern Europe, but all over Europe uh, for the next three months. And uh, anybody who wants to follow my adventures, you're welcome to uh, get a, a link to our travel blog. My husband and I do a travel blog. Uh, and you can just, well, I'm going to send it to Richard and he'll post it um, on his site. And it's all, also, you can write to me at drjudybloom at gmail.com and I can send it to you directly. I'll tell you what we'll do. Every Thursday when I'm doing the show, we'll do a little segment from you and Tom uh, if you can film something, I could include it in the show. Okay. And from wherever you are in the world, uh, okay. travels with Judy and Tom. There you and go. include it. And that'll be an extra added bonus. And everybody will tune in to find out where in the world are Judy and Tom as we wait for you to come back from wherever you are. So I'm going to miss you, but it'll keep us connected, right. uh, which is the way that all of us are remaining uh, connected uh, with wherever we are in the world. Um, I want to let everyone know uh, I have picked a word for the day. And the word that I picked uh, is career uh, because I've got, well, we were going to have three incredible people, and we have two. Uh, uh, Carol O'Shaughnessy, who is, if she's watching, uh, is one of Boston's hottest, greatest uh, entertainers. Uh, she, unfortunately, it's so hot in Boston right now uh, that she couldn't even get on today uh, <laughs> because there are power surges and everything. She was having all kinds of trouble getting on. So she sends love to everyone. If any of you uh, are anywhere near a club cafe tomorrow night, go see Carol O'Shaughnessy. Check out her website. Go and see her. I am so sorry that she was not able to get on with us today. But I chose career because I want to talk about careers today. And when it goes from being a hobby to a job to a career, and, uh, and I also am going to do a giveaway. I have, I've been reading this incredible book called The Email Lifeline. Uh -huh. uh, all of us are so caught up in emails and social media and everything that this book is really helping me in terms of streamlining my email and everything. And that's going to be my giveaway today. So if you respond with hashtag career, uh, you may win this book. I'm going to give one away today. But I want to ask you, at what point in your life did it all become a career for you? And I know that you've had several careers. Oh, I've had several life. careers, yes. So let's talk about you before we bring our first guest on. Okay. Um, I, was, I was very fortunate in that I started, as soon as I started working in television news, I became really successful really young, really early. So it became a career for me very quickly. 
Um, it, it was something I decided to do while I was in college and I was graduating and had no idea what I was going to do with my life, except I wanted to get out and change the world, of course. Uh, and I was watching a television news program one night with one of my roommates and I started criticizing it. And she looked at me, she said, well, if it's so damn awful, do it better. <laughs> you know? And I said, okay, I will. Right. You know, and then I was just very fortunate. So that was my first career. Uh, and then when I decided to change careers and become a psychologist, I, you know, it was a decision that I made and, you know, looked at it and, you know, thinking, you know, at this point in my life, don't, am I ready to go back to school? And, you know, it's going to take me another seven years <laughs> to get the master's and the doctorate and, you know, do the internships and all that stuff. And it was like, yeah, well, I'm going to be seven years older anyway. So I may as well be doing something I want to do. How much of your first career were you able to bring over as far as the skills into your second career? Oh, a lot of them. Because being a therapist requires a lot of the very same skills that it does to be a good reporter. You have to really know how to listen. Um, you have to learn how to read body language. You have to understand what people are saying and what they're not saying. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and understanding that you can look at the same thing from many different points of view. Right. So all of those are really very similar skill sets and being able to ask questions. You know, I ask questions for a living. Well, this is great because our first, guest, <laughs> our first guest who has been here before, and I'm going to bring her on for, in a moment, but I, I'm going to start with our surprise question today. And the first the question is, would you rather live in an apartment in the city or a mansion in the country? And I think uh, it's an interesting question. I like that. Um, if I were going to choose an apartment in the city. And you used to live in the city. Yeah. And and this is a, a another, uh, choose a new habit and take it on for the next 30 days. And you're about to go on a trip. So right. what's the habit that you're going to take with you? A new habit. Yeah. <laughs> Not an old habit. <laughs> a new habit. <laughs> I got lots of old habits. Um, a new habit. Um, minimizing how much work I do. Because I will still see some patients while I'm traveling, but I'm really minimizing that tremendously. Uh, so that working less, that's what I'm going to do. That's my new habit, wow. working less. Well, I am going to bring on our uh, first guest. Uh, Maria Corsaro has been on the show before. Uh, Maria is uh, at, well, you've pa I think you've crossed over uh, that crossroads in your life, Maria, because you just recently retired. Yes. Uh, you had a successful career as a midwife mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, and an educator. Yes. And you are now living your dream uh, as a singer. Yes. Uh, you had a very successful run at Pangea here in yeah. New York. Uh, jazz singer. And you just recently uh, appeared at 54 Below. Uh, with Sumitsuki and mm -hmm. Katie Neheisel. Mm -hmm. um, and you are now living that dream. I want to ask you the same question that I asked Judy, uh, and welcome to the show, first of all. Uh, Great to be here. When did it all become a career for you? Uh, the first career I had? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I grad my first undergraduate degree was in theater. So I, I graduated and then I, I just, uh, you know, began uh, to work with this group, this off-off-Broadway group that was already established. I didn't have to audition or anything. 
And we just did these great plays, uh, hot off the press kinds of things, very exper experimental in some ways. Mm -hmm. And it was, gr it was great. And then when they uh, disbanded, I thought, well, you know, I, I went on some auditions and I thought, well, I, you know, the, uh, ooh, I don't think I can do this. And I wanted to have more control. So I went back to school, became a nurse, became a nurse midwife, got my doctorate eventually after my master's of public health and master's in nursing. And um, it became a career when I decided that my heart was in it. I think the joy factor, um, it, it turns work into something else. It's not work. It becomes, and I don't even know what, what career really means, but it becomes part of one's life, part of my life. And uh, how I distinguish parts of my life, the lines blur. So it just becomes part of my life. It doesn't become my life. I don't become, you know, totally attached to that, but it's very important. And it feeds into the other parts of my life because it's filled with joy. So that is the key uh, factor for me. And now um, returning to performing uh, has, has now been my joy. And so that is um, something I'm really grateful for mm -hmm. that, that, that I've now, um, I've now rediscovered it in a new way because I'm really focused on jazz and um, you know, it's just as a passion. It's really a passion. Yeah. So I don't know if that answered your question, but. Of course it answers the question. I think that it, it, it you go di down different career paths until you find where you, do you feel that this is where you've always belonged? I mean, not that you didn't belong where you were for the last, how many years were you in your other profession? Well, I was a clinical midwife in different settings for 32 years and an educator that overlapped with that for 15 years. I, I was a assistant professor of nursing at Columbia. Yeah. So um, your question was, what was your question? Did Sorry. you, I mean, uh, did you ever feel that you were, well, uh, I'm going to rephrase the question. Did you ever feel as you were doing the other profession oh. that you were missing out? No, no, it just was, it's so interesting the way it happened. It's sort of like, uh, you know how people talk about soulmates, like there's only one soulmate. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't believe that. I think there are, you know, lots of people that you connect with at different times in your life. And I think this part of my life is similar to that. You know, I was 100% in it, didn't think about performing, didn't miss it, you know, said, yeah, that was nice, but I was focused. And then, and then things shifted. And then it was like, aha, you know, hi, lover. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to ask what may seem like an odd question, considering what the last 32 years of your life were like for you. Mm -hmm. But what were the skill sets that you learned over the past 32 years mm -hmm. that are helping you now with your career as a jazz singer? Mm. That's a good question. And I don't know if I can answer it right away. Uh I think my ability to um, concentrate, to focus, uh, to take in information, like learning a new difficult song, you know, being in a difficult obstetrical situation, deciphering, you know, what to focus on first and prioritize, 
um, I think those are those are skills that you know you pick up in different places in different parts of your your life and in your work and in your careers. So perhaps that is, but it's um, but and as an educator, well, this is good. As an educator, you know, I love teaching. So I, I so being in front of a group of people and being able to explain through storytelling, which is what you know, which is what I do in my shows. You were at, at right. my show. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel very comfortable doing that. Like there's no part of me that goes, oh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to say this, how I'm going to interpret this, how I'm going to express myself. I, I don't have a problem in that respect. And I think it's because of the connection between performance, education, teaching, and coming back to it. Yeah. Now, I want to bring on our next guest, but before I do, Judy, do you have anything that you want to say? No, I'm just wondering, Maria, you know, as, as a former midwife, um, what your reaction was when you heard about what happened with Roe v. Wade? Oh, wow. You know, just hearing that strikes a deep, deep core, my deep, deep, deepest core, because I was around during you know, all of that time of the, of the, the, the women's movement, the second cycle of the women's movement and, um, and uh, all of the, the feminists that came before me, uh, my generation that worked so hard for uh, family planning rights, women's rights and all aspects of life. Um, so this is, this is devastating. It's devastating. And, and I think a lot of us didn't think, it was ever going to happen. You know, I think there was a blind, we were blinded by, yeah, we got that, you know, it's, let's move on. It's done. It's a done deal. Right. It's a done deal. And what's our next fight? You know, what else do we need to do? So it was, it was shocking. And yet there were a lot of people that said, you know, you know, we, we knew that this was a threat, you know, but, but we, but I don't think people actually believe that it, that it, that it, that it was a threat. And I think, we now have to think about other human rights that um, we shouldn't take for granted. That are under fire. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's a done deal. Right. Thank you for asking that question, Judy. And it's interesting because I think that uh, it's a lesson to all of us about uh, never getting complacent about anything. Right. So thank you for asking that. So I'm going to bring on John Fisher and, uh, very, I am so excited that John is here. And John, before we talk about you for a moment, John and I met under very unusual circumstances uh, in uh, San Francisco many years ago. Uh, and John, uh, I-, I think we met twice under unusual circumstances. Uh, so if you want to tell everyone how we met years ago uh, and then how we met each other just a couple of weeks ago uh, and uh, then tell us a- about what you're working on right now and your story uh, and then uh, we'll go into the interview. Well, um, thank you for having me, Richard. This is great. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, uh, yes, I was doing a fundraiser for a theater in San Francisco, Theater Rhinoceros, and it had been plenty for months. And who was going to be our guest but Carol Tanning? And uh, Carol 
called me up and said, uh, I won't even presume to do an invitation because I am so intimidated to be on screen with Richard. So I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to do no invitations of Carol because Richard will just frown. He will leave. <laughs> so Carol said, um, you know, when I'm in town, I will be with Richard. And I was like, oh, okay, great. You know, great. And uh, guess what? Carol fell and broke her hip and couldn't come to town to do the fundraiser. So Richard rode in like a knight in shining armor wow. on his white horse and saved the evening. And I swear to God, his Carol Channing that night was better than Carol Channing. <laughs> and, um, he was fully operable. He was so charming. He got Carol on the phone. I was not dressed as Carol that night. You weren't. No. I, I no, he wasn't it. even dressed as Carol. He was wow. just like, but like that, suddenly Carol got right. her on the phone, had a hysterical conversation with her, and then judged a Carol Channing contest um, for us. And like saved the evening, completely saved the evening. And so I'm eternally in Richard's debt for that. Um, and then uh, my friend Daniel and I were coming out of the famous restaurant with all of the flopped posters on the wall. And uh, Daniel goes, oh my God, it's Richard Skipper. Goes Just two weeks ago. <laughs> two weeks ago. I'm like, I know Richard Skipper. What do you mean? I mean, Skipper is right. He saved me from drowning. He like, <laughs> he like threw me a, a, a lifesaver. The, the name is appropriate. I'm like, so Daniel's going to hug Richard. And I like cut between them. I'm like, I know you. You're a hero. And I give him a big hug. Richard's still looking terrific on the sidewalk. And um, and that was our reunion. Yes. That's great. And, and you're in town doing a show called Whirlwind. I'm doing, uh, yeah, my show Whirlwind is at The Tank, uh, The Tank NYC, next Thursday. And it's all about my obsession with Lawrence of Arabia and the first love of my life and how the two of them, you know, work together. And But I, I do a new show every week. Um, I spend the whole week putting together a show and then I deliver it on Thursdays at the tank. So this is my next show coming up and it's called Whirlwind and uh, it's all about my obsessions. And there was something that you guys were talking about that immediately made me think of this. You were talking about your creativity and where it comes from. And mine always came from history, being inspired by history and also escaping into history. And I think that's, that's part of creativity. It's a place to escape to. Right. Right. And like when I was going through adolescence, I was like confused by everything. Like I didn't know how to open a door. I didn't, you know, yeah, I, it just, everything confused me. I was like, I'm just going to escape into history. So this is one of my first obsessions was Lawrence of Arabia. Now, is Whirlwind part of your pandemic um, once a week? Yes, it was. Um, I started, uh, you know, when the pandemic hit, they shut down all the theaters. We couldn't perform. I was doing a play, a hit play, it was extended, it was canceled. And I almost immediately started going on Zoom every Thursday and doing one show after another. And I, you know, I, I first it was friends following me and then that was the great thing about the pandemic. I had somebody watching in France. I was like, what? This is so, I had never been on Zoom before my life until the pandemic. It was like, again, like Richard, it was like a lifesaver. I don't think a lot of people had. You know. I've never been on Zoom before. <laughs> this, this to me right now, like four years ago, I was like, what? That's insane. What we're doing right now? And now it's like, I love it. You know, the boxes, the Brady Bunch boxes. I love it. Right? <laughs> and it's just, it's become like a whole, and I still do in person. I, you know, I love seeing people. 
It's like running into Richard. I mean, that still means something. I'm not like, uh, I don't live in fear. I'm not like hiding out from monkey, right. monkey paw, monkey, monkey breath or whatever it's called. I'm not, you know, I'm, you know I, I go out there still, but uh, this is kind of wonderful. It brings us together, right? And Judy's traveling and we get to follow Judy. It's kind of a miracle. That's right. <laughs> so, 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 how, how many are you up to in, the pen, in your pandemic series? Okay, you it's, okay, it's, um, it's 91. Wow. Yeah, 91. Wow. Yeah. And um, so most of them were online, but since coming back to New York, they've all been hybrid. So they've been online and in person. Right. And, you know, the people, the audience wears the mask, you know, they never wear a mask. And uh, it seems to be okay. I've seen a lot of shows with a mask on. You know, I can still breathe. It's fine. I can still laugh. I can still cheer. You know, it's, it's, it, it now, has, how, uh, how large is the tank? It's 98 seat theater. So it's a sort of a classic off-Broadway theater. It's a great space. It's got the best name in the city. I love the name, The Tank. Tank is great, yeah. It's perfect for somebody obsessed with history, right? Tank, I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, right? It's right there, but um, it's uh, it's so interesting to me. And it's interesting to me talking about careers. Um, you guys are so lucky. I'm one of these little kids who, the only thing I could do was theater. I could never do anything else. So all of my careers have been within the larger, you know, I career from career to career, right? Stephen Sondheim. But I'm, it's all, it's all been theater. I could never, you know, and I, I got a PhD in theater. You know, I went as far as I could with my education in theater, but um, it's, it's, it's weird. I've always been sort of in the same place and yet had to find new ways of doing it, like Zoom. Like, how do we, how do we continue all this, right? You know, it's like, how do we continue theater? Because I can't do anything else. I can do nothing else. Nothing. I've learned that about myself. <laughs> but was it a difficult transition for you to go? I mean, you've had a lot of your plays that have been done, uh, screenplays and everything. But was it a difficult transition for you to go from live theater to doing Zoom plays? Uh, yeah, unmitigated horror. It was terrifying. <laughs> I was, I thought, I kept, to this day, I'm convinced it's all going to stop, Right. At some moment, it's going to stop, you know, but it never has. And it's, I think it's because, like Richard, I'm so neurotic about getting it set up and launching it correctly, right? Mm -hmm. I've never just turned on the camera and gone on Zoom. You know, I saw you doing all your setup, Richard. I'm like, that's the way to do it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> check, double check 15 times. But it's been kind of wonderful. It allows me, it has allowed me to sort of like, all I'm responsible for is this frame, right? And I can grab things and pull them out. I've got like... Um, like here's my sword. I've got my sword for the battle scenes, and um, I've, got, I've got my grenade. This is what I use for the grenade, right? I'm gonna see. Here's Those grenade. are all the things that Maria brings to her jazz shows, right? All the time. <laughs> it's, it's like a cooking show. It's like I just grab things, and suddenly I've got a sword. It's a cheese grater, but that's a sword, you know. So I'm just. It's kind of wonderful because I'm only responsible for this. But it's been great going back on stage. I love live audiences. But it's the world know. of make believe. It's what you create. It's it's what you're able to create within these uh, the confines of these uh, parameters. Right, and it's like as long as the sound is working and the uh, visuals are are happening, you know, it's like there's no stopping us. It's a, it's a whole new world that's opened up. When Judy and I started working together, um, and we met for the first time in June after doing this for almost two years. Right. Uh, when you start, when we started doing this, it was uh, uh, creativity in the age of COVID. And then our hope was that COVID was over 
And we were going to move on and we wanted to get rid of the word COVID. And so that's why we changed the name to Creativity in an Ever-Changing World, which I love. Um, and uh, because we are being creative mm -hmm. in a world that is changing, it seems like in nanoseconds uh, right. around us uh, every day. And we don't know from day to day what tomorrow is going to be. Uh, and I'll start with you, Maria. Um, over the, and of course, you and I see each other on a regular basis. Maria is part of a book group that I lead. Um, Maria, how, what is the biggest change within yourself that you feel that COVID has made on you as far as your artistic work is concerned? Well, I think, you know, um, I, I think I know what I, I, I don't want to do. So, you know, as even as, as a, just a human being walking the planet, you know, it's kind of like, um, and I've heard a lot of people say this, it's prioritizing, you know, so it's not so much even myself as a performer, but maybe it is because it's the choices that I've decided to make. I've decided to focus in on, on jazz because I love it. And I, you know, so finding a song that I have to sing has become very clear for me and finding other songs that are, are, are great songs, but are not calling me. I think as a performer and as a human being, I'm listening to the little voice inside of me more. It's more clear. And I think, I think the pandemic and what has happened to us as a society and us as individuals, um, I think has made that happen, you mm -hmm. know. And what about you, John? Uh, yeah, totally. Um, a focus on what's important to me. Uh, spending more time in New York City, the theater capital of the planet, was always like something I, I was sort of like, well, you know, I just, what, when the pandemic lifted, I just moved here and I'm here half time. And it's worked out fine. And it's where I want to be. I want to, I want to be on stage. Uh, I want to tell the stories I want to tell, like Maria was saying, what's important. Um, I, you know, I was doing a lot of multi-character plays before this. And now mostly what I do is solo work. Because uh, I, I, I sort of want to have that immediate presence in the piece and all aspects of it throughout the piece. And I still love big, big productions. I love them. I love to work on them. I love to watch them. I love them. But... I really began to focus on my own storytelling, my own journey. Mm -hmm. And for, for, for me, it's, it's jazz. For me, it was history. Finding the history and then finding the personal thing that happened because I went into the history and what it inspired me to find in myself. I know one of, the, one of the pieces you did, I read, was a history of World War II. Yeah. So how did that fit into, fit into all this? How did that inspire you? Uh, I think that... The, the, I, I discovered a relationship with my family, with my brother, especially watching old World War II movies. And then we would go out in the backyard and recreate them. We recreate the battles. And it was a whole journey about me and my brother finding each other and discovering this fun thing that we like to do together. Because until then, we just hated each other. We were like, you know, a cat and a dog that have to cohabitate. We just like detested each other. It's like every time we walked by, we like start beating on each other because we just, you know, and, um, and then suddenly we were buds and then we drifted apart. 
and and uh and, and never really reconnected in that way and so that was like telling that story through our journey through movies and uh you know my growing awareness of just you know how i was getting too obsessed with generals i thought generals were like too cute too hot too sexy i'm like this <laughs> bizarre adolescent obsession i had with generals and uniforms i was like and, and you know it's sort of making fun of myself like a man in a uniform oh but that hasn't changed <laughs> yeah i mean many uniforms are great you know but when half of them are nazis that's a problem right yeah, you know, right no no that's the wrong you know it's like maximilian <laughs> <Wrong uniform. laughs> yeah yeah the wrong uniform but you know that's the problem the germans had the best uniforms i mean they and they always like ironed their clothes i mean right yeah they always very yeah nasty. americans were always rumpled you know because they were like actually working but germans <laughs> were, you know they, they were like going to dinner parties and having cocktails and then they'd like <laughs> right i mean they were just the germans were they were european they were continental you know they were just like you know they were dancing you know and um so that like it too many times, John. <laughs> <laughs> and Hogan's heroes. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. The Nazis are just silly, stupid people. They're just dummies. It's like right, you know, it's like safe Nazis. Yeah. Well, that was Mel uh, that was uh you know uh that uh, that was uh you know uh Mel uh I'm I'm I wanna say Mel Blank and it's not uh you know but uh that was his idea, you know, to do that. Yeah, yeah. It was like make the Nazis safe. It's like no, no, they're not safe, right? But I adored Bob Crane. I just thought he was like, that's how I wanted to go through life with that attitude, you know, just like, you know, wicked evil solution solver, but always acting dumb, you know. Mel Brooks, thank you. Mel uh, Brooks. I, I, was, I was thinking Mel Blank, you know, of all people. Thank you, Danielle. Uh, senior <laughs> moment here that I'm having. You've got me so confused about everything. <laughs> Different Mel Blank, Mel Brooks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, I mean, were you doing a lot of solo work uh, prior to the pandemic? No, I, I, I did like two solo shows and I just did them you know, in different places. I did them at Pangea, you know, I did them at, uh, uh, Theater Row, and I, I, you know, I was doing them here and in San Francisco, and then I just got onto this doing a new show every week. And I start out using notes, I refer to notes, and by, you know, like, and I, 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 I was, I was like, I'm going to keep doing this till the pandemic ends. And then at a week, at about week twenty, I'm like, oh my god, it really isn't going to end anytime soon. And then it just became my life, you know. I just stopped thinking about it. And every time I got sick of reading about Trump or whatever, I would just, I had a place to go and that was rehearsal, you know? And it was an outlet. It was, it was outlet. a total outlet. When right. I think of, I would call people up and they were totally freaking out. I'd be like, oh my, I felt guilty. I wasn't freaking out more, you know? Uh, they're like, did you see the news? I'm like, ah, I don't have time, you know? And it, it actually helped a lot, you know? Yeah. But, well, I mean, but don't you think that that, that was a healthy way of, uh, processing what was going oh, on. absolutely! It was it was a great way of of structuring my week. You right. know, I only gave myself one day off, and then I could totally like freak out on everything and like binge eat and you know you know just like not sleep and you know I could totally just let it all go. And then I had to get back to work. You know, right. yeah. you bring up a very interesting point. I just watched an incredible documentary on A and E um, about uh, black comedians. I don't know if any of you saw it. Uh, and uh, 
And it was very interesting. Uh, and they were talking about Richard Pryor uh, when he first started out. Uh, he was very straight laced and was uh, and really uh, towed the line. He didn't want to offend anyone. <laughs> and, uh, then he, you know, really got to the point where he said, "The hell with all this." He was getting sick and tired of being told what he could say and what he could not say on. Uh, stage and then uh when he did this thing where he set himself on fire mm -hmm. uh that really changed right. uh who he became on stage and he just really went out there and became his if you will his authentic self mm -hmm. on stage and it was freeing for him to be able to go on stage and say what he wanted to say on stage. Mm -hmm. And there was an African-American woman who, I, I can't remember who she was, uh, but she said that she can't be free in her day-to-day -day life, but on stage, that's the freest that she can be. Mm -hmm. And I think that what you're doing gives people a chance to laugh at these things. Yeah. And Mel Brooks, he allowed people to be able to laugh at the absurdity of these things that, I mean, when we look at Trump, for example, we all realize how crazy this stuff is and people are shocked and appalled, but nobody wants to talk about how absurd it all is. Yeah, well, Trump's having a good time. He always seems to be having a good time. You know, he, he, I mean, I think he must realize how stupid it all sounds, but he says it anyway. I mean, he's, he's like, he's like Richard Pryor. He's like, well, remember, and I'm glad that we're doing this at this hour because tonight is must watch TV. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, I can't wait, you know, to watch uh, the hearings tonight. Right. Uh, because I think it's going to be. The hearings have been fascinating. I know. <laughs> I can't wait to see the outtakes tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's it's great. And Maria, yourself, I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously, when people come to your show, you want to give everyone an escape from what's going on in the outside world. Uh, yeah. You know, so you process it in a completely different fashion. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I really could relate to what John was saying during, I mean, I created my show. I worked so hard during isolation that it didn't really, you know, I, you know, it was, it wasn't great. And it, you know, I was aware of what was happening outside my house, but um, I really uh, utilized the time to create something and that was really uh, important. I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have that. I really, I, I have no idea, but I did. And I utilized the time. So um, that was really important for me. But I think, you know, I think, um, I, I, I think the kind of, sh the, the, the work that I do, the shows that I do, I want, I want them to be entertaining. I mean, and jazz for a lot of people is a turnoff, you know. For some people, they go, oh, jazz, I can't relate to it. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I don't understand how they know when to come in and the musicians <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I can't relate. You know, I'm, you know, no jazz for me. But I, so what I want to do and what I think um, I accomplished 
was to make it accessible so that people, people now, which was great because then people would say to me, you know, wow, I learned a lot about jazz and wow, that was interesting. And I'm going to go home and listen to Bill Evans and I'm going to go home and, you know, and listen to Chick Corea now because I didn't realize all of this stuff. So Maria, I have a question about that. Don't you think that it's just a matter of personal taste? I mean, for some people, you could make the same statement about country music. You could make the same statement about rap music, uh, classical music. It's, yeah, I I don't think that it's just a matter of it being a turnoff for some people. It's just a matter of personal taste. Uh, Yes, it is. And and it may not not resonate. It is what you're saying, Richard. All kinds of music don't resonate with everybody, which is all kinds of music. But I also think with jazz in particular, a lot of it is that people have sort of a stereotypical idea of what jazz is. And someone like you, Maria, can explain to them, no, it's a much broader category of music. And presenting the, the lyrics to right. a song in a way that includes the audience. Right. So you're breaking down in a cabaret room, you're breaking down that wall. Right. So right. you're including people in the experience as opposed to we're on stage, we're a trio with a singer and, you know, sit back and relax and enjoy it. And for some people that's difficult and they don't, you know, they're not attracted to that music anyway. So, but, but my, my whole um, idea is to break down that wall and to make it, make it more personal and and accessible so people can see it in a new light and be, feel like they're being included in the experience. Right. So one of the, big attractions people have to rap or country or rock is that they can sing along with it. You know, they, it is interactive in that way. Right. 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 But I find with jazz that jazz is like, can be the most impressive vocally that it can, the singer can do things that you can't always do in other forms. That's what brought me into jazz. I'm so far from jazz. I was like, that was like the last music I came to, yeah. right? Cause I was like, jazz, what? No, no, it's too, there's no structure. There's no, I don't know what's going on, right? Right. And, and then I heard some really great jazz singers just, it's like channeling. It's like speaking in tongues. It just, it, it was like amazing to me. Yeah. I never heard that from a voice before. And I felt like I was the moment of creation, right, Maria? It's like you're yes. there. It's, yes. it's it's only happening for you, for that yeah. audience. Yes, it's so yeah. true. It's really, really true. And, you know, because the voice is an instrument, you know, as part, as the, part of the ensemble, you know. Um, John, I want to a- uh, ask you, how do your audiences find you? Um, do you mean... How, how do they I mean, find you? Uh, do you have a built-in audience who come week after week? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I I tend to work from a core of people, and then they start bringing other people. and then. But I also have people just sort of find me. And um, they come, and uh, I, I put the tickets out everywhere, like on Gold Star, like on half-price ticket platforms. I'm, I just want people to come. I don't want them to be like, oh, it's too expensive, or it's too this or too that. And uh, I have just an incredibly wonderful mix of people and also it's become a great way to like see people i haven't seen in 30 years Mm -hmm. like people like i saw your ad i'm like you're kidding you're here i haven't you know and suddenly i'm like talking to somebody i never thought i'd see again and all these memories come back so it's just some you know so it's 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 kind of wonderful it's a great way to connect with people um but i put out everything you know i Mm -hmm. i 
you know, I, 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 I spread the word wide and far and uh, people come to me, you know, but a lot of the people are repeats. They're coming back to see a brand new story, you know. And Maria, what do you, what do you find for yourself is the hardest uh, obstacle for you to overcome in terms of building an audience in today's world? I mean, uh, COVID notwithstanding, I mean, that's, that's an issue uh, by itself, yeah. but in terms of building an audience in today's world. Um, you know, there's so much talent out there. There's so many opportunities for people to see wonderful, you know, music and dance and theater. And so uh, I think it's, I think it's hard to attract people. And that's what I'm trying to learn now. Like, how do you attract people that don't know you, you know, that don't know you, that aren't friends and family that, you know what I mean? I'm, you put your stuff on Facebook and then it's like the same people come, which is great. I love them. You know, we all support each other, but I, uh, I think that's the challenge and that's the goal for me is to try mm -hmm. to figure out a way to have an audience um, where, you know, they they don't know me and I don't mm -hmm. know them. There they are, you know. So um, I think that would be the challenge. It's, I mean, it, it, I mean, in today's world, it's, it's so difficult. It's, I always say that the most audiences, especially in the world of cabaret, uh, is made up of the three Fs, friends, family, and fellow artist. Uh, and it's really to get over that hump. Uh, uh, John, in the world of the tank, uh, do they do a lot of marketing themselves? Yeah, they do. I, I found that working with a theater that has sort of a robust audience is really quite wonderful. You, you, you begin to get their audience. So it's not people necessarily just coming for you. It's people coming for that theaters. Right. And it's, it's a little bit different because they're not nearly, they're not like friends. So it takes them a while to get you. I find that you can spend 10, 15 minutes with them sort of getting your rhythm you know, and sort of what you're about. So there's like an adjustment, but it's really quite rewarding. And of course they, you know, my show is very much like the shows that are done at these places. When I was at Pangea, it wasn't because that's much more cabaret and I'm like, like much more solo theater. So it was, it was a little bit of an adjustment, you know, this guy's not going to sing. What's he going to play? Where, where's his instrument? What's going on? <laughs> there's a piano up there. Play your piano. Come on. Why is he just talking, right? <laughs> yeah, he's just talking. What's going on? You know, so I, I try to, in my, with my horrible voice, sing some songs and things like that, just so, that, so they know they don't want to hear me sing. Um, but um, it, it does make a difference to work with a theater with a, an established audience. And, um, and those, in a way, that's the great way to, 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 to get over the hump of the three apps, as you say. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm, I've, I've got a couple theaters I work with. But of course, you know, they can't produce me all the time. So then I, I do uh, things online. I do things in smaller venues. And uh, yeah, but you're right. That's the leap. Well, we're, we're going to do some. Uh, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Were you saying something? We're going to uh, do some wind down questions. And uh, I'm actually going to bring this up so that everyone can respond with career to get the email lifeline. And I'm going to uh, start with you, uh, John. And I want to ask you: um, Are you really good with your email list? And if so, how do you utilize email in terms of building your audience? 
with my email list? Yes. And do you have a newsletter that you send out? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Here's my big secret. I eat blast far too often. I, I don't have, I don't abide by any of the old rules, you know, once a week, once a month. I don't, I just like blast all the time. And I figure if people drop off the list, they were going to drop off anyway. I just, I, so I, I oversaturate. I'm sorry. I, I, I know that's very American to just like totally overdo it, you know, but um, I just, yeah. I, and I ruthlessly, I just keep loading it with fresh names and I have a guy who helps me. He's really good at maintaining it. And um, yeah, the e emails, it sounds so old fashioned, you know, email, mm -hmm. but um, you know, it really does work. And I also email people individually. I just send out emails saying, hey, and I make them specific. I send out individual invitations and I make it very specific to that person. Because I do, I love having people come, especially people I know. I love having people come who I know. So for me, it's all about the email, right? And what about you, Maria? Um, the gentleman who designed my website, he really- is, uh, I love your website, by the way. Thank you. He, he takes care of all of that for me. So I'll, if I'm doing a show or I'm appearing somewhere, I'll, I'll let him know that. And he sends a blast out to my email list. So, um, but, but, you know, I have been thinking about individually sending, you know, individual emails to folks, um, uh, you know, as a strategy. Yeah. Do you uh, have a newsletter or something that you send out? I don't. Okay. I don't. And what about you, Judy? Do you use anything along those lines? Nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. I, you know, I, I email friends sometimes, but um, well, okay. usually like with an article that I'm sending them that I saw or something like that. But no, <laughs> I don't. And uh, Mitch Morrow, I see that you uh, have hashtag career, but there's a space between hashtag and career. So no space. So do that again. <laughs> um, so I want to... Um, I asked Judy earlier uh, to choose a new habit and take it on for the next 30 days. So uh, she's told us what her habit is. John, what's a habit that you could take on when it comes to your career that you could take on for the next 30 days? Uh, do, are you going to check to make sure that I've taken this on? Uh, that's my goal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you going to be like, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to have, you know. Maria knows me. She knows that I'll follow up. I'm, I'm like, I want to choose something simple so that if you check up on me, I'm going to swing my arm more. I think when I walk, I'm going to try and swing my arm, right? I'm going to scratch my neck more. That way, if Richard checks up, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm scratching. Um, I don't, okay, this is what I always want. The habit I want is to, this is not, it's an anti-habit. I want to be less neurotic about every little thing. You know, uh, just about every, you know, light cue, sound cue. I just want to like, I want to relax. I want to get the relax habit, um, which is, you know, just finding little moments of sort of the pleasure of it, you know, just trying to be a little more laid back. Okay. And then next time we talk, Richard, I'm going to be talking. When you find it, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you'll find it. Yeah, what yeah. about you, Maria? A habit. Well, I think I need, to, I, what I would like to do is do vocal exercises every day. And I don't do them. And, um, but there's always, it's always in the back of my mind, you know, you really should do this. And I don't listen, I'm not listening. So I think I'd like to 
take that on as as a new habit. Do them in 20, the shower. 20, 20 minutes a day. In the shower. Yeah. That's, that's what the shower's for. That's Yes. Yeah, it's not about getting clean. Um, so I, just some fun questions that I'm just going to ask you. Uh, so, John, uh, when have you been the most silent in your career? Um, the most silent. That's so interesting. Well, I've done whole shows that were just movements. And that was like a challenge. How am I going to tell a story with movement? Mm -hmm. And it was a story about an adolescent boy living through the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in that way, he, he was trying to disappear. He was trying to disappear. And... Um, you were mining? Is, is that what you were doing? No, I, no, it was more like he was listening to people and talking to people and running, uh -huh. hiding. So it wasn't really mine. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't visualizing things with my hands. It was more like how he was responding to things. And I, I did a lot of running and hiding and crawling and very few words. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Wow. And he survived. I had him in my story. He survived. He made it through. Wow. Yeah, he, was never, he was never arrested. What about you, Maria? So this is um, silent in in my in my singing career yeah in your singing career that's an interesting question that's a tough one, singer for a singer yeah well you know what i've had conversations with other singers about leaving more space um and being comfortable in the silence um and not filling up the voice in a song so um uh, th that's a really interesting conversation to have with musicians because they always talk about how space is important in the song. It's just as mm -hmm. important as the lyrics or as the vocals. You know, it's just leaving space. And and for that, that means that the singer is basically silent, you know. So, um, you know, I've been experimenting with that and being more comfortable in that, in, the, in a song. And what about you, Judy? Have you ever been silent in your career? But you, you I mean, you, I guess you have to be. Yeah. Uh, because you, you listen to your uh, patients. I listen to my patients, but it's also, but the, the concept of silence is a really important one to not feel like you have to jump in and say something. So if my client I'm talking to is silent, right? It's important for me to not feel like I have to jump in with the next question or I have to jump in with some kind of, analysis of what you know, they've just been talking about, to give them a moment to maybe access something a little deeper and, or, or, or you know, to go, maybe go in a totally different direction if that's what they're gonna choose to do. But to give them that space, as you're talking about, Maria, I think is really important. How about you, Richard? Oh. I'm just being silent. No, <laughs> no, uh, no, no, I was just listening. <laughs> no, um, it, it's interesting. I asked this question the other day and somebody was talking about, uh, you know, being silent in today's world and, you know, moments where we've been silent with things happening around us. Um, I don't know that I've ever been really, uh, I, I, uh, 
it, it, you know, I mentioned earlier about this new thing that's happening in my, and a sizzle reel was just sent out. And they had mentioned that there were moments uh, in the sizzle reel uh, where uh, I seemed to step on a, a certain a couple of answers. And I asked the producers that had sent the sizzle reel in if that was something that I was doing or if it was done in the editing. And it was done in the editing. And I was thrilled to hear that because I really try to listen to my guest. And I was thrilled to hear that I had not been stepping on my guest. And I was glad that that was something that they had picked up on, that that was an editing mis uh, choice that had been made mm -hmm. that I had not done. So uh, I really do try to listen to my guest. Uh, so listening is very important to me. And uh, one of the books that we went through uh, w was The Listening Path mm -hmm. by um, Julia Cameron. And it's really about taking the time to listen and listening to the sounds around us certain things that drive us crazy, uh, like leaf blowers and lawnmowers. <laughs> and, but think for a moment, those things that will drive us crazy and how fortunate we are that we can hear those sounds. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. I, mean, I just saw a, a, a news clip the other day um, about the deaf community in, in the Ukraine and how incredibly difficult it is for them because they can't hear the bombs. They can't, they don't, they can't know that they're oh, in danger. Wow. It's just, yeah, it's just. Wow. Yeah, you don't think about that. Right. And they're just kind of part of the forgotten community there. Wow. So we've talked about career. John, what do you think your life purpose is when it comes to your work? I've just always loved telling stories and, you know, just putting, getting them into my body and finding new ways of expressing myself and new challenges. And what can, what can I, what can I do this next time? So, you know, my, my, my career is to keep those experiences coming, just keep accessing them. I've had incredible run since the end of COVID. I've been so grateful for it. And uh, I really try to thank everybody I work with, uh, at least verbally, but in other ways, you know, take them out, you know, spend some time with them, listen to them, you know, I get to tell a story. So when my story's done, I do a lot of listening after my shows because, you know, I reconnect with people and I see that they want to connect with me. And so but that, that's really what it is, to keep creating a place for me to, to tell the stories, you know, that I that, that just keep coming to me. That's great. Uh, Maria? Well, just to pick up from what John said about connection and storytelling, I think through, through song, um, to uh, have, the, have the audience feel uh, and connect to the song and, and, and the way that they experience it. Not necessarily the way that I'm experiencing it, but the but but for them to feel the emotional content of the of the lyric and the and the music and feel something and connect to something that's personal to them, so they can walk out and feel like they've been moved in some way. 
And Judy, I'm going to go in another direction with this question. What pulled you into your profession? I don't think I've ever asked you this. Um, I started out originally in college as a psych major. So it wasn't something that had been, you know, totally out of left field. When I was a kid, I, <laughs> I used to read Ann Landers and Dear Abby religiously, right? <laughs> and when I, when I was in high school, I started a, a, an advice column <laughs> for my high school. <laughs> so it, it's something that, you know, has always kind of percolated in my head in the background. Um, and I think it was just that growing up, I always wondered why people did what they did. You know, it was just fascinating to me to look at, watch other people and try to figure them out. Uh, and it's why I went into news as well. You know, find out why people do what they do and try to explain it to people. So it's just, I think just curiosity is <laughs> exactly what it is for me. Well, that's why I love doing what I do. I, we're going to give away uh, this book now and... Uh, we're going to go here and thank you all for being here uh, this afternoon. Thank you, John and Maria and Carol, wherever you are right now. Wow. I'm sorry that you couldn't be here. Francis Shea. Uh, Francis, call me later and we'll talk about getting this book to you. Uh, so, uh, Francis, you have my number. Uh, so I'm going to remove this. I'm going to say my closing remarks. And then, John, I will uh, turn it over to you. Then Maria and Judy. Uh, as usual, you will have the uh, closing remarks today. Uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, everybody, please, tonight, regardless of where you are politically, tune in tonight and watch these hearings if you can and form your own opinions based on what you see and hear. Uh, I want to thank you all for being here. Uh, and I want to thank you all for tuning into all the shows uh, that Judy and I have done. Uh, we're going to take a break, uh, but I'm going to be uh, tuning in wherever Judy and Tom are in their travels throughout Europe, and I'm going to live vicariously through them. So uh, keep tuning in to see what they're doing, and hopefully I'll have some great news to share with all of you uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, and uh, follow John and Maria as well. Uh, I love celebrating artists and their body of worth. And John and Maria, uh, thank you for what you do uh, and what you bring to the table. And keep telling your stories uh, because they're wonderful stories. And uh, it means so much that you were both here this afternoon. And uh, with that, I'm going to say so long as I end every show. I tell everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the seventh name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know what they mean to you. Uh, as my dear friend Sean Moniger says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And I always say, if you're gonna go out in a boat, Make sure you bring a skipper along. <laughs> With that, I'm going to leave. And uh, John, it's all yours. And I hope to see you next Thursday. I'll see you Thank then. You. Okay, thanks. Thank you so much for being here, Richard. Um, I'm totally down with that. You're the skipper. You saved uh, one show I did. So you're the man. You know the news. And I totally agree with that. Tune in. Follow 
what's going on. I think if we really know what's going on, we make the right decisions. And I think that when we don't really follow things, when we're just sort of flying on opinion, when we're not listening, when we're not being silent, when we're just talking, like my daddy used to say, you never learn anything by talking. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally down with that. Um, thank you for having me on the show, Judy Maria. It was so great to meet you both. Um, Judy, safe travels. I'm so jealous. Three months. Yay. That was like, <laughs> we'll follow along. <laughs> yes. It's, that was me getting out of college. That was my reward. Three <laughs> months. Three months. And Maria, I, I can't wait to see you on stage. Oh, I, I think that, that would be so exciting having spent time with you and, and hearing the backstory. Um, yeah, so, yeah. The same for me, for you. I can't wait to see your, your shows and, and uh, to see you live in person. It's great to you. Next time I'm in New York, I can see you both. So. That'd be great. Yeah. So I'll be doing my show, um, Whirlwind, all about my obsession with Lawrence of Arabia and first love of my life at the Tank. And that's Tank NYC. And that'll be next Thursday at 7 p.m. And you can find out more about it at the Tank NYC, spell like it sounds, dot org. Thank you for having me here, Judy. Sure. Take care. Maria? Judy, thank you so much. And Richard, thank you so much for inviting me. And John, so great to meet you. Uh, it's been such a pleasure talking about all that we, we, we just really covered a lot of things. And I'm going to walk away and think about it all evening. Um, I'm just going to say, uh, just enjoy, uh, everyone, just enjoy yourselves. You know, bring the arts into your life, bring music into your life, connect with people in the ways that you find that you, uh, where you find your joy, where you are connected within so that you can connect to yourself and to connect to others. Because really, that's what we're here on earth for, I think, is, is for connection and for joy. So with that, I say good night. Thank you, Maria. And good luck with your show. You know, it's, it's really looking like a long, hot summer, climate-wise, COVID-wise, politics-wise. So we're all going to have to learn how to just stay cool, accept what we can't change, and change what we can't accept. I think that's really important to do. Uh, you know, I think it's also important to realize that happiness is a choice. It's not a result. Nothing will make you happy until you choose to be happy. And your happiness will not come to you. It comes from you. Your own attitude defines your life. So look for the good or the lesson in all situations, you can grow from there. Have a great couple of months, everyone. And if you want to follow the travel blog, you can drop me a line at drjudybloom at gmail.com, and I will get you a link. Uh, but Richard is also going to be following us along, so you can just follow along with him, and he will post the link as well. And Richard and I will see you in early November. Good night, everyone.